This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier. I'm the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading women-owned advertising communications firm in Southern California, and we've been in business 20 years. As a social psychologist, I really enjoy interviewing people and learning things. And at Frazier Communications, we enjoy looking at ways to change behavior. We grow brands, and we work very hard to positively impact society with communications in both private and public sectors. But on this show, The Deciders, we feature leaders in their fields, change agents in their communities, and ask them to share their stories, their data, their insights, and reveal how the decisions they make every day impact their businesses and how the areas of conversation we talk about impact society and ourselves. So I start with a question. If you wanted to age successfully, what would that really mean? What does powerful and successful aging even look like? Our guest today is Helen Dennis, and she has the answers to these questions. She's a nationally recognized leader on issues of aging and what we would call the new retirement. She's taught at USC's Davis School of Gerontology, where I took some classes as an undergrad, I have to say, on aging. And uh, she has won awards for her contributions to the field of aging. She's co-author of the L.A. Times bestseller, Project Renewment, the first retirement model for career women. And I have her book about Project Renewment right here in front of me. I love it. I'm excited to read it more fully. I've skimmed it for the interview and we'll be talking about it today. Welcome to The Deciders, Helen. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So, Helen, I've been interested in doing my homework about you, and uh, I think we should start with the broad question is, what does successful aging really look like? Many things. If I had to reframe that or use another word, I would use optimal aging. But for me, successful aging means being the best you can be. Mm -hmm. That means if someone has arthritis, if someone has some limitations, but they are doing the best they can be intellectually, emotionally, socially, physically. To me, that's successful aging. I like that. The best you can be. And I think what that means, too, is not letting stereotypes and even your own bias, right? We all know about implicit and unconscious bias these days. And we typically think of that related to uh, uh, race or age or uh, meaning young people or gender. But I think in reality, we carry perceptions of ourselves of what being 65 looks like or what 70 looks like. And in reality, those can't get in the way, right? I, I never expected to be doing a radio show when I was in my 60s, but I'm enjoying it, right? And as you said, it's making the most of what you have. Exactly. And I think to remember, and your point's well taken, the notion of ageism and stereotypes is so subtle in our society. It is really the last of the isms, if you will, that's socially acceptable. If we said things about other protected groups that we say about older adults, we'd have riots in the street. You're right. You're right. I, I was really fascinated by your piece uh, from the Southern California newspaper group, right, that appears in several newspapers, a syndicated column. Where you ask real people and get real questions and, and uh, answer them. One was successful aging, what you say matters when talking about older people. And in that column, you really talked about the ways in which we refer to older people. Can you give us some tips on that? 
Yes. Um, there's some words that are loaded. Seniors, um, younger, older adults have a problem with it. Older, older adults, people in their 80s and 90s say, I'm thrilled to be a senior. So seniors is one. Um, so only you seniors when you're really referring to those older, older adults, right. I'd say over 70. Yes. And what about referring to people as elders? Mixed review. Uh, elders is considered a prestigious term, and yet not everyone wants to be referred to as an elder. <laughs> so th I think the whole, the whole point is that age still has a negative connotation. That's true. And why use age at all? And I actually, in my columns, I use a new life stage. Ah. I don't, I often don't even refer to the term retirement. I talk about a new life stage. Ah. I talk about older adults. Uh -huh. I never use the term seniors. I like that. Or golden ages. No, no, no. no. Um, it has to be a term we feel proud of. That's a very smart way to talk about it. I think the other thing is people are people, right? Well, you know, when we talk to somebody in their late 20s, Unfortunately, now we might categorize them as millennials, but otherwise, it's just an adult. And uh, I think you're right. Putting the age in front of it is a big mistake. I also understand uh, baby boomers. We're not babies any longer. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> just call us boomers, right? Makes a lot of sense. Now, what about sensitivity with younger colleagues? You know, it's interesting. I run an ad agency with 30 people, and I have a lot of younger people under 40 in the firm. Uh I know that one person wrote in to you about the fact that she felt they were asking her to repeat things and, and asking her about things, implying that she was old. What advice do you give in those kinds of situations? I have to admit, I haven't had that yet, but I, it may come to that with some of my, my employees. I, I think it's a polite clarification. If they say, well, Helen, you keep forgetting things, you could say, thank you so much for your comment. I really appreciate your observation. But actually, I've forgotten nothing. <laughs> so I think just clarify very politely, because people aren't even aware that they're doing this. Ah, that's a good point. I mean, they don't do it with intention Not to hurt intention, you. but it's such a normative piece in our society mm -hmm. that you can just say it and people will blink and that's it. Well, but your point also is don't be afraid to say, no, I, no, I haven't forgotten anything. We we're going to talk about that in a moment. Or I, uh, the reason I didn't mention it was this and just move past it so that you correct them. You know, another dynamic that we've talked a lot about on the show, and I know a lot of my clients are dealing with this younger people under 40, I'd say. So again, in the 39 is the age now of the millennial group at the top age. <clears throat> they are bold and confident and strong. They want to be heard. And older people feel they bring value because they bring wisdom, right? And there's a common sense of, we've always done it this way. Don't argue with me. Nobody hopefully says it that overtly. But that's the sense some of the younger people get from older people. And yet the younger people are saying, let's take a fresh look at this. Any advice on how to bridge that dynamic? Well, I think older adults have a responsibility to be open. Okay, let's just assume we're always learning. Let's just assume there are better ways to do things. And the worst thing you want to do is fill the stereotype that these other people have. Don't yeah. fall into the trap. Don't be defensive, but to be open. And I think the best is when we see reciprocity. I agree. Where they learn from each other, yeah. but it requires an attitude of openness and confidence. No one is attacking you. Okay, you're good who you are, but just listen and absorb a little bit. I love that advice. I think that's really important because uh, 
you have to take yourself back. And uh, and I think sometimes because people are in a hurry, they jump right to, well, I've got the answer. Let's just move on. And that's not the not the attitude you have to take. So you've got to wipe that attitude from you and then be open to listen to new ways of doing things. I have a friend who has a jar in her office, and every time she says, we've always done it this way, she has to put $5 in the jar. Well, the other thing is we work in teams today, and you can't be a team member if you say we've never done this way or I've got all the answers. It's not what a team member does. You're absolutely right. It's collaboration and openness. And if anything, it's even, I'd like to hear what you have to say. You know, one of the things I find in my organization is I have some very quiet people, then I have very extroverted people. So you got to go out of your way, I think, to allow the younger or the any of any person who's quiet to share a point of view. And often I find, uh, you know, you can watch their behavior, their body language, and sometimes you can tell they're starting to say something. But they also, they just want to be asked. They sometimes feel like they need to be asked. And I think if the you know, an older person or a power person in the room asks, they feel uh, honored to offer something. Indeed. And I think part of that is you need what you mentioned. You need to step back. Don't be so over self-involved <laughs> to step back. Listen to what's going on. OK, and take some responsibility for the whole group. Oh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Now, what do you mean by take some responsibility for the whole group? Um, you step back and see if the group is moving well. And if it is not, do something about it. So you're being a leader in a quiet way. In a quiet, not a takeover way, but in a non-directive way that really makes a difference. Right. So you're really uh, inspiring the open dialogue and collaboration, almost like a behind-the-scenes conductor. And in addition, you're the role model. Right. You're the message. By keeping your mouth quiet. (laughs) By not talking as much. Right. Yeah, I love that idea, and I think it's good advice. Uh, people who listen to this are wondering, well, what can I do to be better at what I am as an individual, but also how do I lead better? And that's good advice for all of us. But I, I do think there's a tendency as you get, if you've gone on in years to say, think you have valuable experience, there also is this defensiveness. There's this worry about being outmoded or displaced. And that's a reality. Tell me about that. Um, ageism is alive and well. It is subtle. We have laws against age discrimination, yet it is on the rise. This is cocktail party circus, uh, research. You're, mm-hmm. at a, you're at a party and you meet a 68-year-old woman and you talk about life and she says, so who's going to hire me at my age? Right, right. Well, I have employees that we've hired who have said to me, I'm so grateful to get this position. Mm-hmm. I have been looking and I've felt ageism at other locations. And uh, and they realize that, uh, you know, it, it, particularly in the advertising and marketing business, because digital and social media have become so prevalent and so strong. And, you know, it's higher, easier to hire someone out of school with those skills. But a lot of older people have, in fact, learned those as well. So, yes, it's alive and well. I think the, the antidote is obviously staying current, right? There's a responsibility for older adults to be competitive. Just being older doesn't get you the job. <laughs> You've got to be able to do the work, which means more training, more education, open attitude. Then you can compete. But selling yourself on age only is not going to be so good. Very good point. Very good point. Well, let's talk about your book. I'm, I'm fascinated uh, about Project Renewment, the first retirement model for career women. And let's talk about what is you mean by a, the first retirement model? Well, most of the retirement models are male-based, or they have been because we started this 20 years ago. They're mostly male-based and they're financially based. Well, women's work life 
is very different from men's in terms of their trajectory. It's not linear, okay? So as women look to the next 20 to 30 years ahead, who is the role model? Right. There aren't very many. Maybe Madeleine Albright, but we can't all be Madeleine (laughs) Albright. (laughs) Right. So who are our role models and how do they get there? And then there is this notion, which is somewhat antiquated, that, well, you can always go back to the kitchen. Well, my thesis is if 40 years ago you needed more than the kitchen, why (laughs) do we think this woman is going to be totally fine with an apron? Right. I agree. The only thing I would say, if she wants to do a YouTube channel on cooking and become an influencer, she may have. (laughs) There's room for that. There's room for that, for sure. Absolutely. And I just say that in a humorous fashion. I know what you mean. Don't feel like you have to fall back on that old stereotype of be a homemaker, stay at home. Or, you know, I'm a grandmother. So the other is, well, you could just take care of the grandchildren. Yeah, and I was not a stay-at-home mom, and I'm not going to be a stay-at-home grandmother. Just not in my genes. And my daughters see that way. My sons-in-law. Well, it, it also gets to an ageism that we are who we are through the life stages, and we don't do personality surgery at the age of seventy-two. We well, are who we are. Right. So that that goes to soul searching. Right. Truly reflect on what you value in your life. And that, what's important to you as a human being? What are your strengths? It doesn't mean your job title, right? It means what's below that. And that's really a lot of the discussion in the renewment. I, I should add, it's a word we made up. Oh, you did? Renewment. Renewment is a cross between re- retirement and renewal. I like that. And that sends the message. So people could say, when you know, when they say, what are you doing now? Well, I'm working on renewment. I'm working on, and sometimes we say Encore, right? And we've talked to the Encore people here, which is another great opportunity for people uh, to go back. I'll just say what that is in case people didn't hear the show. It's an opportunity through Encore.org to work in a nonprofit on a paid basis, lower pay, but a paid basis so your work is truly valued, and be able to use your business skills in a nonprofit sector or setting. Very valuable, wonderful fellowships that are available at Encore.org. But let's go back to renewment. So the word you created, tell me why it applies so well to women. Women can fall into a stereotype. And the notion of renewal to have that spirit, mm-hmm. to know that's an opportunity, is implicit in this. And that's uh, the idea of the butterfly, right? That's, that is the idea. But the butterfly, I mean, <laughs> this is uh, a publication from Scribner, and they outsourced the cover. And I said, this person really read the book because <laughs> the butterfly is the most beautiful phase of life. Absolutely. It is free, yeah. but it's also towards the end of life. Mm-hmm. That's the last phase. Right. So I said, they read the book. Yeah, they got it. <laughs> they yeah, it's a book. wonderful symbolism and, and it attracts your eye. I think it's great. So in the book, you give advice to women about creating a plan for themselves? So it's, it's less directive. So there are 38 essays, and they reflect what we um, what we – let me do a little 20-second history. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, I got a call from a colleague, Bernice Browder, going to her second retirement Helen, is there anything for career women and how we figure out the next 20 to 30 years? I said, I don't think there's anything. Quick lunch, four hours. Do we have something to talk about? Yes. Next stage, get some women together. What do we talk about? Wow. So we continue to meet monthly for five years. Wow. So you have these work groups and focus group discussions. We have these structured discussions where you talk about a topic. Who am I without my business card? What does productivity mean? What if he retires first? Who will be there for me? Uh, I can leave my house, but not my hairdresser. I mean, so a little bit tongue in cheek. So what are the issues? We um, taped all those conversations and 
got a call from the CEO of Scribner and said, through a host of some publicity, we got, we want you to write a book. Wow. Um, so the book talks to the phase of work to retirement. But let me add one quick point. Because this has been around now for 20 years, people have aged in place in renewment. So what has happened, it's become a platform to support career women in transitions for a lifetime. Ah. Because we have people in their 80s. They talk about different things than people in their 60s. Right. right. We inadvertently created enduring communities of women that have grown virally throughout the country. Wow. As a result of this. As a result. Oh. Tell me about those communities. So some of the people in the audience may want to create one of their own. How do you go about doing that? So I would recommend um, looking at renewment.org. We have a new website. Got it. And the book. The last piece of the book says, you want to create a group? Here's the turnkey operation. Here's the curriculum. Here's the questions. Here's group process. I didn't. I and my colleague did not want to run around and and host do these, groups and help these groups as a consultant, for as example. As a consultant or even just to help them. That's not what I want to do with my career. Empower people to do it themselves. Take ownership yourself. And virally, this has happened. Oh, I love that. How many do you think there are, are around the So country? there are about 40. Wow. Uh, some have are two years old. Some are 20 years old. Um, and they have formed very close bonds. You know, I, I, what I think is valuable about that, in many ways, there's many things, but being able to talk openly about your concerns and your issues. When Rabbi Geller was here, she did listening sessions uh, with her constituency at the temple. And I think in some ways it was very similar to this in the sense there were structured discussions about the concerns and people shared their innermost fears, which we often don't get to talk about, right? And we're also in this digital age where we communicate via text and happy pictures on Instagram. Uh, we rarely get an opportunity to bear our souls. So that form is absolutely critical. But at the same time, what are the opportunities? What right. is the upside? Where do I go? Right. So that there's a balance. Mm -hmm. do, but, do they share with each other? Like, here's what I found I'm doing. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And it's honest. Um, it's enduring. And we know that social isolation is a national epidemic. Right. So to have these communities, women over time... Uh, they say this has been a gift, which is I think it's fabulous. I'm, I'm curious. I apologize that I haven't read the back end of the book. So does one person take responsibility for managing this or does the group own it? How does that work? So every group is different. Some take one, some rotate it. Um, so the groups reflect the personality and the styles of the individuals. Hmm. So we don't dictate it. We say, here's something to follow. Make it yours. Make it reflect who your community is. Uh, so it's been a fascinating thing to watch as it's grown virally. Are you still a part of one of these groups? I am <laughs> certainly part of Group One, the mothership. <laughs> and I also am part of a group that is meeting at Congregation Near Tamid, which is probably uh, the first faith-based group. And now, now there's another group in Connecticut that is affiliated with the church. We don't really know how many groups we have because we're not a traditional membership organization. Right. There are no fees collected. No fees. So it's a different model. <laughs> I did not want to run a membership organization. I know how to do that. I don't want to do that with my career. <laughs> so it's a different model. I love it. I think it's a great idea. I mean, and frankly, it would be good for men as well. So that's an interesting topic because men. OK, this is a sexist comment typically do not discuss these issues 
as quickly or as thoroughly. thoroughly. But there is a group meeting in Los Angeles called the Life Transition Group. Ah. And once a year, there are about 25 men, all very successful. They meet once a month, highly organized, more organized than renewment. Um, and once a year, we have eight of our renewment women meet with eight of their life transition group men. Huh. And we have a discussion. Oh. And so it is both genders talking about a single topic. And that's really fascinating. What type of topics? Give us some examples. So one would be the role of friendship. Uh-huh. The other would be goals. Uh-huh. The other would be who's been instrumental in making me who I am. Wow. And so what I listen for, are there really gender differences? So then what's the answer to the question? And I bet there aren't. I bet there's very similar, I mean, storytelling in the sense and some human dynamics. Are there, are there some overriding gender differences I as think, well? I think the major gender difference is that women connect more easily mm-hmm. and they're more communal. Yeah. They get to the issues Bing, bang, one, two, and the men still are talking about sports, economics, and right. intergalactical right. issues. <laughs> we, we see that, don't we? In a cocktail party, you can sit down with a woman you don't know, have a conversation. You're learning about her children, her mom's illness, her, uh, her transition in her career, and you get to know her so well in 15 or 20 minutes, whereas the men, you're right, are still talking about politics or sports. Yes, ex- exactly. Yeah. And it's not a value judgment. It's just that we operate differently. Totally. No, I, I, I truly get that. It sounds like, though, in this men's group, though, they get them deeper a little bit faster. They do. Yeah. They do. yeah. And they want to have those those open conversations. One part of neuroscience that's kind of interesting, I like to study neurosciences that impacts communication. And for the last five years, we've been doing gender informational ins- uh, webinars and uh, insights for some of our clients. And there's a um, collection of data that's been able to be analyzed. It's by Chinese and American scientists. They found 25 structural differences in the brains of men and women, and they're inferring and uh, identifying what, what it means for communication. But one that really relates to what you just said is there is more white matter in women's brains and gray matter in men. And the white matter are connections. And uh, the women have many, many more connections and the men have more gray matter, which is more, I don't know if you want to call it knowledge, but it's cognitive bits Uh of information. Mm -hmm. Any other gender difference you'd like to share with us from your experience with uh, Renewment and this group? If you look at this group, they're all successful. They all have worked hard. They all are perhaps at a similar life stage that I think the the biggest one is really how they connect and how quickly they uh, relate to others and how they form new communities and make new friends. Women just do it faster. Well, that's good for us for living longer. You know, as we talk about living longer, what's your philosophy? Uh, what's the recipe? Obviously, being in a renewment group, I see that. But optimum aging and optimum living, what's your recommendation to people? I think if there was one single thing that we had to identify... It's probably two. It's physical fitness and cognitive engagement. It's important to be socially engaged. It's important to have a sense of purpose. But if we look at what happens with normal aging, there are things we can do to slow it down. I I like to quote uh, a wonderful geriatrician at Stanford, Walter Bortz, and he had said some time ago that the enemy for older adults is not disease. It's frailty. And that we can do something about. Ah. So that's where your fitness comes in. So it's both physical and cognitive. And I think if we can handle those two, I think the others can fall in place. But to me, those are absolutely fundamental. I think that's 
Great advice. So the frailty is staying active and engaging in in physical activity like heavy walking and exercise. I do yoga four times a week. So that's my my effort in that direction. And then I also, if I'm not doing yoga, I do a treadmill or walking, you know, and and for at least a mile, two miles a day. So thank you. Maybe that'll help me. And then the other thing is cognitive. I've read, too, that learning new skills, taking up the piano, uh, stressing your mind. It can't be easy. It has to be really, really work hard at some. Thing. And that can even be our job sometimes, right? Well, in fact, there's now advice to say work longer. It's healthier. Well, I like that, too. For cognitive, right. physically, socially engaged, having a sense of purpose. Um, it has not only income value, but in terms of the aging process, it may slow it down. I love that. Great advice for how to slow it down and how to live happy. Let's talk about my last question, which would be about the decisions. As we, you know, the show's called The Deciders. Can you share a decision you've had to make in the process you went through? So this is less the decision and more the implementation. And it's a very personal one. My sister was dying. We had hospice. She actually asked, just let me go. Oh, my. And I overrode the hospice. Hospice is a fabulous service. It's a, it's a gift. But this particular hospice nurse under-medicated. Oh. And I overrode her medication, and I administered it. Ah. So the decision was the right one. It was the execution of the decision, which was a finality that I was instrumental in. My goodness. So, um, did you do a lot of soul searching or did you feel you already had the connection with your sister? I knew what I had to do. But in terms of difficulty, that was a difficult execution. And at the same time, I saved saved her children from having to do this. Right. So, they were free. Thank you for sharing that, Helen. It's very touching. And, uh, you know, what, what you've said uh, rings true for so many of us, the notion of being present for someone in, a, in their, their difficult moments and really listening and feeling them and understanding. And uh, thank you for sharing that. This has been a fantastic show. That was Helen Dennis, author of Project Renewment. And be sure to visit this website that she's developed called renewment.org. Specific tools and ways to establish these kinds of groups. Thank you for listening to The Deciders. You can hear our podcast at fraziercommunications.com and be sure to listen next Saturday. Remember, Fraser Communications is a full-service advertising communications firm with clients across the United States and internationally. Contact us if we can help you with your business. Reach us at FraserCommunications.com to learn more. Have a wonderful week ahead. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Fraser Productions.